You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We are finishing July. We are also finishing our series today, (coughs) Simply Jesus. 22 weeks in this. Did you realize that? (laughs) 22 weeks. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And you might go like, wait a minute, but we're not at the end of the Gospel of Mark. You're right, we're not. But we are at the end of Jesus' public ministry at the end of chapter 10. This is the last event before he enters Palm Sunday into Jerusalem and the last week of his life his death, his resurrection, okay? And we kind of covered those out of order back at Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. So I know I'm fudging it a bit, but uh, we're going to finish. And next week, we're going to start a new series on the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, why don't we watch that short little intro video again? I'm amazed at the book of 2 Corinthians the more I read it why I've been preparing for it, how Paul just opens up his heart, his struggles in a very profound and deep way. What I've been noticing in our culture and our society is the last thing you ever want to be anymore is vulnerable, open. No, 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 no. You shut down. You just keep your guard up. You become part of a group and you just uh, toss those verbal grenades at somebody else, right? That's the way it's been. And yet, if you keep your guard up all the time, Who's ever going to get close to you, right? If you keep your guard up all the time and look powerful and strong, who are you going to ever care about? And Paul opens up his heart and shows such amazing intimacy of knowing these Corinthians and the agony he goes through. And um, But I, I, I'm really looking forward to this. This is something we all need. If you... It is something I struggle with. I don't know about you. Really, you know, pastors have to, quote, you know, not be perfect, but close to it. If we show weaknesses, ooh, that's not a good thing. Notice, you know, the churches that grow fastest are the ones that talk about strength and victory and success all the time. So um, it's a struggle for us all. Paul just does not let us off the hook, though, no matter who we are. Okay, so we'll be doing that. But this week, we're going to finish off um, the series on the Gospel of Mark um, with this short miracle story, discipleship story. It's kind of both. It's the second time in the Gospel of Mark that Mark records a healing of a blind man. And this time, he is named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. And the question is, in this whole story, it's so short, and it's, in a sense, it's, it's so, like, vivid. We know it was an actual account. There, I mean, like, an, not just an actual account, but an eyewitness story. I mean, to name the character in it means, basically, the early church knew who Bartimaeus was. In fact, he probably became one of the first disciples after the resurrection in that Pentecost time period, all that stuff. I mean, we've got it. Often when Mark names names, he's doing it kind of like research footnotes. He's basically telling you, hey, um, I'm writing this gospel. If you really want to check out to make sure I'm telling you the truth, the dude's alive. Just check it with him. I mean, they had no other way to do it in those days. And yet at the same time, the way Mark writes this story, it's very stylized. He uses a number of phrases that are typical throughout. He kind of 
does that to say, hey, it's not just about Bart. It's also about you. So we're going to be looking at that. So do you see who Jesus is? Simply see Jesus. Now, what we find out is the crowds don't see it at all. And in fact, the disciples don't seem to have a clue either. And this is what's fascinating about the Gospel of Mark. It's the simplest gospel, and yet at the same time, as Mark presents Jesus simply, he does it in such a profound way. There are only two healings of blind men in this. The first one occurred a few chapters earlier, right before Jesus asks the question to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And they get it wrong. Peter, well, he says, you're the Messiah. But then Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus has to rebuke Peter. Okay? And that healing of a blind man then was in two stages, which is the oddest miracle. Okay? First, it's like he sees partly, and then he sees fully. And it's the two questions that Jesus asks back then. Who do others say that I am? They only get me partly. Who do you say I am? Do you get and see me clearly? Then three times between that healing and this healing, Jesus predicts that he is going into Jerusalem to be rejected, to be handed over, and to be crucified and rise again. And the three times he says that, the disciples three times totally miss the boat. Last week we saw one of them, and because it happens and they go, hey, I want to be number one, and I want to be number two. Remember that, James and John, the thund sons of thunder? Jesus had just predicted he was going to die, and that's what they want to talk about. The other time, they were complaining about who's the greatest. I'm better than you, and that was going on. So three times, they don't get it, and three times Jesus has to clarify who he is and what he's about. And the last phrase we had last week in this series was that, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And now we've got our text. And now right after that, this is what happened. Let's read. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say this. So what happens is Mark is, I think, profound. William Placker puts it this way. Mark uses every strategy to say two things at once. Yes, this is the Messiah the greatest of miracle workers, the Son of God. But no, that does not mean what all, that all, what you thought it meant. We're going to find out who he is, but he's not what you think when you think of the Messiah. So let's read now Mark 10, 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard it, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So we're going to go through, I know, four points today quickly. Four points. And they are these, the beggar, the crowd, 
the cry and the call. I couldn't find a fourth C for the beggar. So, but the beggar. Now, Mark says right here that Bartimaeus is a blind beggar. And you go like, oh, okay. We just pass over that. Do you realize, though, not everybody who was blind needed to become a beggar in those days? Just because you had a disability didn't mean all of a sudden you were on your own. No, in fact, often families would take care. There was no reason. I mean, why is Bartimaeus a beggar? We have to ask that question. The text doesn't tell us exactly. It seems like he must not have much family, or the family he has has disowned him. And he's on the side of the road in this instance, just outside of Jericho, on the way up to Jerusalem, Jericho being the lowest city on earth. Did you know that? And Jerusalem is not that high, but it, yeah, it's, it's in a rift valley there. Yeah, look it up. The Dead Sea is the lowest spot on earth, and it's up on the way from the Dead Sea. And, um, but what something is not right in this story, when you hear that there is a blind beggar in, among God's people, Israel. You see, God had called his people to walk humbly, to love mercy, to seek and act justly. And yet, if there's a beggar, something's not going on. Bartimaeus, if he didn't have family, he had neighbors. He had a whole community. For instance, the book of Proverbs puts it this way. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. So in other words, Bartimaeus should have been able to just go to neighbors in his community and say, hey, I have a need. And they should have responded, this is what God's people were to be. And in the book of Leviticus, one that I'm sure you read often, just like me, but it is filled with, it says this about people with disabilities among God's people. It said, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. In other words, take care of those who have any disability. And Deuteronomy says this about the poor. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. So you wrap it all up. God is setting his people apart distinctly from the rest of the cultures around who are saying, yeah, you always have people that are poor. Don't worry about them. There must be something wrong with them that caused this. They shouldn't be, you know. But God said, you want to show yourself as a different, you are different. You are like me. I care for the poor. I have a heart for those who are outcasts. We lift them up. I want you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with me. So yes, blindness, disabilities, they'll be among God's people. But nobody should have to become a beggar for that. <clears throat> That's the beggar here. The crowd. Now, you probably don't even think much about this in this text. It just says there's a large crowd. But they play a pivotal role in this story. 
they told Bartimaeus to shut up. They didn't want to hear it. He's crying out, and they want to avoid it. Why do they want to silence Bartimaeus? Walter Brueggemann, in his commentary on this, says, the blind beggar's silence would ensure that the status quo would be maintained. In a similar way, in every society, powerful institutions, notice the ones he mentions here, churches, schools, courts, hospitals, serve to keep people in their designated slots. He's a beggar, let him be a beggar. He can do his begging thing. He doesn't need to interrupt Jesus on his way. And we're enjoying this parade as we are going up to Jerusalem. Stop it, Bartimaeus. You're making a mess of things. You know what's fascinating? The Gospel of Mark, you can kind of, you could do a, a study of every time that the crowd responds to Jesus in one form or another. And you could find this in the New Testament as well. Crowds are often wrong, <laughs> off. In fact, I don't know, they're almost like the Greek chorus in a Greek tra tragedy, you know, something that Sophocles would write, where on the side, they're sitting there going, oh my goodness, I can't believe, oh, I, what's going on? And they're kind of doing this kind of almost characterized, weird um, commentary along the way of the storyline. The crowds often in the Gospels are astonished or puzzled or shocked. Sometimes they're oblivious. And here they're even oppositional to God's kingdom. And later on, they're going to be the ones cr uh, crying out, crucify. But Bartimaeus calls out even stronger all the more. Now, this also begs the question for us in this story, because like I said, it's kind of stylized. Um, Mark is recording an actual event, but he's saying, hey, this fits all of us. It didn't just happen then. It happens all the time. And one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, why do I believe the crowd so often? Why do I get caught up in a crowd? It doesn't have to be mobs. It can just be the majority opinions on things. And all of a sudden, we think somehow, if a lot of people believe this or want to do this or think this is good or is stylish or trendy or the thing to spend all your time on, we also go into that. We get caught up in the rat race. We do all of those things. And don't be naive about yourself. I know we've been told, I've been told, well, think for yourself. Well, who tells me that? The crowd does. <clears throat> Honestly. I'd, I need to not be naive to think that all my opinions are, that I held a hold are because I have researched the subject thoroughly, looked at all the alternatives and what I believe and should believe and think about, and came to a conclusion based on independent research. Reality is, um, Rene Girard, I believe, was the um, philosopher who wrote a book on mimetic theory, the fact that we follow along with what other people are doing all the time. We mime it. We learn by imitation. We fall into that, and we just get into it. In fact, I make my decisions kind of like a bee in a beehive, and I just follow the buzz. And here the crowd is wrong once again. The crowd impedes Bartimaeus. The crowd wants to silence Bartimaeus. The crowd is not following what really along. Charles McKay, um, I thought, said a, a great quote. He writes, men, it has been well said, think in herds. 
it will be seen that they go mad in herds, while they only recover their senses slowly one by one. That one here in this text is Bartimaeus. So the cry. What does Bartimaeus cry out? Fascinating. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, if you are somebody in the first century, and actually if you are reading along in the Gospel of Mark, this line right here should be like the bells and whistles going off, the lights flashing, because it's the first time this phrase, son of David, is used in the entire Gospel of Mark. And it becomes a theme now from chapter 10 all the way through chapter 15. And son of David is a shorthand version of saying Messiah. Though one ideal true king who should come to right all wrongs, to rectify the situation, to bring peace, to bring wholeness, to bring completeness, to bring harmony, to bring righteousness back to earth, and to bring God back into the midst of his people. And it is a blind man on the side of the road, not a disciple and not the crowd, who cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now what's fascinating as well as Jesus is not the first David to be coming into Jerusalem. In fact, the original King David, and I, didn't, I learned this about uh, 15, 20 years ago. It was fascinating. Because you, you read the Old Testament, you just kind of gloss over things sometimes. So King David in 2 Samuel chapter 5 dis, chooses Jerusalem, which at the time is a Jebusite stronghold. And he wants to take it over to be the capital to unite north and south, all of Israel together here. Before that, for eight years, nine years of his kingship, Hebron was the capital, but that was in the south. And so this is what the text says. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. Did you catch what was going on here? The Jebusites taunt him and say, hey, even our disabled can handle you. And David says, guess what? I'm going to kill off those disabled. And I won't even let the blind and lame come in my presence ever during my reign. That's the original warrior king. And now it is blind Bartimaeus who cries out, son of David, have mercy on me, and asks his blindness to be healed. Fascinating, isn't it? What a contrast. In fact, the contrast is even greater because in the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus does come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he goes and cleanses the temple and gets rid of everybody. And what happens in the temple, in the temple courts? It says this, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. You see the difference between the original warrior King David, just like every other human being, 
through power and force and coercion, try to rule. And this king who comes in and brings healing and welcome to those who are cast out. What a contrast. And in addition to that, I don't know if you realize this, you can read through the entire Old Testament and you can find a number of miracles that happen, even resurrection, that Elijah and Elisha accomplish at times. The one miracle you will never find in all of the Old Testament, guess what? The healing of a blind person. And yet at the same time, the one thing that the Messiah will do that is brought up in numerous passages is he will bring healing to the blind. Here, for example, just in Isaiah 42 as an example, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And so what we find, the one miracle in the New Testament that happens that only Jesus does at, points to his messiahship with no questions asked. Mark Lane, in his commentary, says the healing of Bartimaeus displays without any concealment the messianic dignity of Jesus and his compassion on those who believe in him and throws in bold relief the blindness of the leaders of Israel whose eyes remain closed to his glory. There is none so blind as those who refuse to see. You've probably heard that said. And that comes actually from the gospel more or less the Gospel of John chapter 9, where Jesus heals a man who is born blind in that instance. And again, this is the sign, the one sign, that should have alerted everyone, along with the title Son of David, to say, this is the Messiah, no question. And he is going to reign. And Mark, like Placker said before, though, says, yes, he is the Messiah, no questions asked, but he's not the Messiah you expect. Not the way you want him. And we see that now as well in the call. Can you believe it? We're at point four already? <laughs> Aren't you happy today? <laughs> Jesus called for blind Bartimaeus, and the crowd says, hey, take heart. He's calling for you. See, I love, I think this is one of those stories that this week, I would just say, let it simmer and just take each line and think through the implications. Is not this one of the most important things you could ever have somebody tell you? Hey, take heart. He, God, is, Jesus is calling for you. He wants you. Isn't that just amazing? See, this is why it's almost a little stylized and yet it's so profound. And what does Bartimaeus do? He throws off his cloak springs up to meet Jesus, and then Jesus asks him the most profound question in Mark 10, 51. What do you want me to do for you? Last week, it's the exact same question. James and John come up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do whatever we want. Uh, give us what we, you know, he goes, he asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? And they wanted to be the greatest of all times, right? We want to be the greatest. We want to be number one and two in your kingdom. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. You really don't understand it. And by the way, he goes, yeah, there is somebody who will be at my right and my left when I come into my glory. It's called the two thieves. 
Yes. One thief on my right, one on my left, and I'm in my glory when I am serving all and giving my life as a ransom for many. You want to be there? Are you sure that's what you want? You don't know what you're asking for. Bartimaeus knew what he wanted. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. What do you want me to do for you? What a thoughtful question to just ponder and say, Lord, you're asking me, what do I want from you? I don't, you know, half the time I don't even know what I really want. Do you? What is it I really want? Am I like James and John and just think I know? Blurt it out, demand it, only, or, or am I more like Bartimaeus who knows do I really know my need? Am I willing to ask for that? Like I said, this is a graphic story, and yet at the same time, it's almost a paradigm of how it is to be for each one of us. That's why Vernon K. Robbins, oops, sorry about that. Vernon K. Robbins writes, in this story, a request put to Jesus reveals a proper understanding of Jesus as he nears the gates of Jerusalem that results in true discipleship, which produces the willingness to follow Jesus into the city where he meets rejection and death. So Bartimaeus is not interrupting Jesus. The crowds think that's what's going on. This is what Jesus came for. Jesus' most important work of bringing sight to the blind, of teaching and leading people to see him clearly, is just on the way to when he is going to be nailed to a cross. It's part of that way. And how uh, 1 Peter and other um, New Testament texts looks back at that crucifixion and will tell us what's really going on there by saying, by his wounds, we are healed. In other words, for Jesus to bring about these miracles in the lives of Bartimaeus and others along the way, it is all tied to the cross. This is what brought Jesus to the cross. Because he was not listening to the crowd. He wasn't even listening to his disciples and what they thought they needed. He was meeting the world's true needs. He will meet your needs at the most profound and deepest level. Bartimaeus, ironically, sees clearly when he is blind. The disciples have been going with Jesus for three years. They've seen everything he has done, and they still are clueless. You know, and the way that um, when I was reading up on this story, on this text, some people want to categorize the story of um, the healing of the blind man outside of Jericho on the way to Jerusalem as a um, miracle story. And others say, no, it's really a discipleship story. Here's the reality. Every discipleship story is a miracle story. The fact that I or you are following Jesus started with a miracle. <laughs> the fact that 
Take heart, the Lord is calling you is the miracle. The fact that Jesus wants you to follow him, that he comes for you, that he takes you along the road with him, and that he leads you to not just see at the moment and give you what you think you need at the moment in the present like Bartimaeus, but that Bartimaeus then follows along with Jesus as he goes into Jerusalem, as he faces opposition, as he faces rejection, as he is facing the injustice of a fake trial at night, a kangaroo court, and an indictment and torture and death. He takes him along the way. So, I think this story is not something that is to be read and said, well, that was nice for Bartimaeus. It is something to be applied to us in profound ways, I think, and Mark does it. But the first question I have to ask is not like, how am I like Bartimaeus? That we get to, but I first have to ask the question, am I part of the crowd? Am I the crowd? Um, I can't assume I'm the guy that needs help right away. How have I let the crowd define me? How do I want to not hear the cries of people in need? How do I try to silence them or eliminate that from, from bothering me? How do I blame the situation that people are in on themselves so that I don't have to deal with it? How am I neglecting God's call for justice and mercy in this world? Am I really okay with the way the status quo is? Do I think this is just the way it has to be, especially among God's people? And if I'm not part of the crowd, how do I allow the crowd to still influence me? How, here's the reality for most of us. Even, you know, how much time do I spend in God's word? How much time do I mean, an hour a week in church, that's great. How many hours are you surfing the net? How many hours are you listening to the news? How many hours are you getting information and being influenced by all sorts of other groups and people? Do you understand? Who are you listening to? Often that's who I'm following. How much of my time is spent on crowd noise? Yes. How am I like Bartimaeus? I mean, I hope that's obvious we all are. Have I cried out for mercy? I have been blind and I do need to see. Have I allowed others to silence me so that I won't cry out? Because, well, it's just easier to just let them have their way. Since we have all been called by the gospel, and Jesus has said, take heart, I'm calling you. Have I thrown off the cloak and run to him? Love the fact, I think, uh, James, you picked out some amazing songs for today. It just worked, didn't it? Um, but where it's like, you just open wide your arms. It's time, you know, I'm running to your arms, Jesus. Can I state as well, what is it that I want Jesus to do for me? I'm willing to follow 
And am I willing to follow not just for the moment because I had a miracle happen or I'm welcomed, but to follow him into Jerusalem all the way to Golgotha? So we're finishing up this series, Simply Jesus, today. And I, honestly, I didn't quite plan it this way, but I think this couldn't be a better story to end with. Because I think it's one I need to sit on and simmer on and say, okay, I want to be Barnabas. Profoundly, I am. We all are. And I, Lord, I want to see. Simply Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day, for this time gathered together. Um, thank you for this gospel. We are amazed how you inspired Mark to so um, put together the true life stories in such a way that they, they move us to follow. Lord, we know it's by grace that you've called us, you've wanted us that you've planned from long ago to have us, that you do open our eyes to see you simply, profoundly. May we respond like Bartimaeus to see you as the son of David, the son of God, the one, the only, the king like no other. Lord God, we do lift up those who need your healing touch in our community right now. Um, we pray, uh, we lift up to you, Bob, we lift up to you, Carol. We lift up to you, um, those in need. We um, ask, Lord, that you would move us not to um, try to silence the needs around us, but to be attuned to them like you were to Bartimaeus. That somehow you use us to draw people closer to you. Lord, and we pray as well, for anyone here this morning who has struggled that the crowd has told them to be quiet or to not be noticed or to be put off to the side or marginalized, we just pray, Lord, that we would be a community where they can be heard and where you can bring your healing. We lift up to you, Lord, um, this coming August, many events that are going to be going on in our community from uh, back to school to the university starting again uh, to numerous opportunities for us to serve. We pray, Lord, that we are attuned to the cry of anyone in need, individually and corporately. So bless our um, Thrive By in August. You know the needs in our community are greater than ever for food. We pray that you would touch them through those offerings as well, Lord, the people uh, in need, and that we would be able to uh, bring people into a living relationship with you, Lord Jesus. That's our desire. I pray, Lord, um, that you would uh, truly prepare us to come to you today to offer ourselves and all our needs, just like Bartimaeus, and to receive from you all that we uh, all that we do need, Lord. As you don't just give us a healing or a, an, um, a request, you give us yourself, your very self. You offered all of you for all of us. 
So prepare our hearts and our minds. Give us the faith to trust you and open our hands to receive as we will come to the Lord's table in a few moments. Forgive us, O Lord, any hard-heartedness we have had, any indifference to your gifts. May we respond with joy and wonder at all that you have for us. And we also pray, Lord, that you'd bless our offerings this day. Just a small token of what you've given us, Lord, that they would be used for your glory and for your kingdom's sake to bring more mercy, more justice in this world, and more of your gospel truth to more people. All these things we pray for in your precious name, dear Jesus.